What's happening, all you beautiful people? We have a brand new episode of The Strange Road for you. I'm your host, Mikey, and of course, the bro host with the mo host, Bub. How you doing, Bub? I still like that. I'm great. I'm great. (laughs) I like it. And tonight, of course, we have uh, Stoner and Disbro holding it down in Master Control. And guess what, guys? We got the Master Control camera back in action. Say what's up, fellas. There they are. Come on now. Quad squad. (laughs) There it is. All right. Yeah. Hey, guys, look at that. Hard at work, as usual. Uh, appreciate that, fellas. Uh, we also appreciate the hell out of all you guys listening and watching. Uh, if you want to so- support the show, uh, all the links are in the description, at The Strange Road on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. We have The Strange Road podcast group on Facebook, rocking and rolling. And uh, if you're watching in YouTube, always like, subscribe, share to all your friends and family if you enjoy this show. And if you're listening in Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leave us a, re- a review. That would be so awesome. How about this? Uh, we really appreciate it. How about also if you know anybody that doesn't know how to use a podcast player, like my mother and how I had to show her the other sure. night that you do have a native yeah. podcast player on any Apple device, especially and probably Google Android devices, whatever you just show them how to use it, set it up. It doesn't cost anything. You know, it's free. Yeah. I, I did that for her because I was like, oh, you don't Some even people, listen like my own mother. Yeah, they don't know how to listen so, uh, to a podcast. Yep, Good point. Yep. Just so. got to help extend that knowledge base sometimes <laughs> because I know that we think it's very, you know, uh, permeated throughout society and culture. But some people are still like, I don't know, know how to get to a podcast. So, yeah, help everybody help, you know, everybody get to uh, listen to what they need to. Yeah. So leave us a review. We really, really appreciate you guys. Um, we're going to jump right in. Game on. Uh, this is uh, we're super, super stoked. Um, our next guest reached out to me recently and uh, we started chatting a little bit. I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. Into very similar things. We're, we're cross pollinating with a lot of different folks now. Um, but let's hop right in. Justin Brown, welcome to the show. Justin is the, the host of Prometheus Lens podcast. Welcome, brother. How are you? I'm doing good, man. How you, how you guys doing? Doing great. Doing Stella. great. Yeah, yeah man. man Welcome. I love what you guys do. Love you guys. <laughs> appreciate that. Appreciate that. Really, really appreciate that. Yeah, I've been watching a couple of your videos. I think, really, we just started chatting earlier this week, or was it last week? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, here we are. I'm super stoked. I mean, you're into a lot of this, uh, similar things. Recently, you guys have been uh, doing episodes about Inky, Enlil, some of the Sumerian gods and myths and legends. Some of the guests you've had on have been fire. So um, I'm really stoked to jump right in. But first, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why you started Prometheus Lens. Well, yeah, my name's Justin. And uh, this all started, honestly, was just uh just a study group, like actually like a Bible study group. Uh, I discovered uh, Michael Heiser's Unseen Realm, and it was kind of a new concept to where I'm from. You know, deep down in the South, it's uh, a lot of you know Baptists and missionary Baptists and stuff like that, and it's all the the, the Trinity and and things like that, and the Sethite worldview instead of the Genesis six. So, I invited like 15, 20 guys and couple guys three actually showed up and after a couple meetings my my buddy's like hey my brother knows how to do podcasts he can teach us how to do this and we're having some really good conversations we should record this stuff and a year in uh met a lot of great people had some interesting conversations and i've always been a, a history buff and looked into the uh epics and the myths and stuff like that 
aliens and conspiracy theories, just all these fascinating subjects I've always just loved and had a passion for. And maybe a year into doing the Dig Bible podcast, I was like, I want to do this, but I want to go farther than just the Bible. You know, I want to dive into ancient history and conspiracy and have had just more conversations. I couldn't get enough. So I just started Prometheus Lens and been doing that and just reaching out to all these authors and researchers and just geeking out and loving every minute of it. <laughs> yeah, man, you've been busy. You've made a, quite a network. We've been chatting a little bit about our mutual friend, Heather, Heather Arnold, mm-hmm. who we had on earlier this year. And L.A., of course, is a legend in the Giants world. And uh, so it was really cool. Like, L.A. is definitely somebody we'd love to love to talk to. Sure. Um, and then Fritz Zimmerman, that's one of the first books I ever bought. Because mm. he's got the – also has the uh, travel guide book that goes with yeah. – the ancient uh, the Nephilim of the of North America. Okay. So, and then the second book you can get with it is just literally a guidebook. It tells you where all the mounds and earthworks are. So, um, Fritz is he's old school. That's like one of the first things that ever came on my radar when I was looking into that. So, um, yeah, man, you've you've been busy. It's just been uh, kind of putting pieces together and talking to all these people that are really digging in what's your experience been like so far it's just been fascinating like with me because i grew up in the church so i mean i have my you know preconceived notions and my beliefs but growing up and hearing all these stories and and reading the bible i have that biblical worldview mm-hmm. and what i think is just so fascinating is where i have that foundation and now I'm going out and I'm talking to all these people and looking into the, the histories and stuff. You see all these common themes and it's like, I'm just connecting dots mm-hmm. and I'm seeing this mosaic picture of everything from like 30,000 feet. And I'm like, Oh, well, this is Genesis six, the fallen angels. Oh, well, the, the Olympian gods, you know, they, uh, Zeus breeded with the human women and made Hercules. That's a Nephilim. You know, and uh, Abraham Lincoln, you find a quote from him talking about the giants looking at Niagara and their bones (laughs) fill the mounds of America. That's a great one. And it's just like. That's one of our faves. (laughs) I remember that quote. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We we put that in Lincoln was kind of a giant, too. He might have had some Marfan syndrome. Yeah. Maybe that's why he was interested in it. There are are stories that he was able to hold an axe Mm -hmm. by the handle by pinching it with the axe head out. Like <laughs> that might be a tall tale. He was. Do you know how big he was? He, he was, was like six six, which is huge for back then when people were like five. Bro, they thousand. made Lincoln the Vampire Slayer about him. Like, come on. Yeah, oh, I got. He's yeah. mythologized, but he had Marfans. Probably he did. You know. Well, whatever. That's the other. A lot of people like to pick apart that that Lincoln quote, but I've read the entire speech. I love in, that in quote. the context because a lot of people are like, well, he. People just like to take that out of context. They're saying it's miscontextualized. Yeah, but I've read the whole speech, yeah. and he is talking about giant bones, right, in the upstate New York area, right. Yeah, we know they were there. Mm-hmm. Anywho, so yeah, and then go, you find go, people go like L.A. and Fritz finding these bones. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that one picture uh, that L.A. found at uh, Catalina, mm-hmm. that museum. Have you heard that story? He went digging through the archives there and found a picture of this explorer. And I can't remember his name now for the life of me, but there's a picture of him standing 
like leaning on a shovel yep. and there's a hole dug out in front of him and there's a skeleton laying there. Yeah. And LA got to looking at it and he was like, man, curled up even in the fetal position, this skeleton is just as tall as him, if not taller. Yeah. So then he got to looking a little closer and uh, he sent the picture. He took a picture of it and sent it off. And these guys, you know, basically broke it apart and, and used computers to stand it up. And it was almost 10 feet tall. Mm-hmm. And then he got to looking closer. It has six fingers. Okay. And that was something that the the biblical giants, you know, that was characteristics that they had. Then you get into the Indian mythology or quote unquote mythology. Mm-hmm is they constantly battled red-haired, six-fingered giants. Yeah. But he found not one, but two. And he told the uh, curator of the museum about it, and they're like, oh, well, cool, thanks. And so he ends up coming back, and they have that picture posted up in the museum. But Hmm. lo and behold, they photoshopped the uh, skeleton out of the shot. Wow. Wow. Now, Catalina Island is really, really well known for having a ton of giant skeletons that that, like you said, that explorer, his name is escaping me right now, but he was very, very reputable and an archaeologist as well. From what I understand, he was a professional. He was getting funding for a long time by universities, and he found so much stuff there. They built a museum. Um, He helped curate the whole thing, and then he was just digging up giant bones all the time. I don't know the story that well. Um, We covered a very little bit. Catalina Island's like a hot spot for, like, eventually if you're looking into giants, a lot of roads lead to Catalina Island. I like that. Yeah. I'll go to Catalina Island. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of other weird stuff with Catalina Island, too. I'll take it. Yeah, but you find it everywhere. Aruba, the the Levant. Uh, yeah. Africa, I mean, it's just everywhere. Ohio. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are sitting on a powder keg. Oh, yeah, dude. It's, yeah, it's it's definitely a thing. And we have one of the OG giant researchers who wrote one of the first books, I think, really, in modern giant yeah. North American lore, at least, uh, is Ross Hamilton. And he wrote Tradition mm-hmm. of the Giants in 2007, which Jim Vieira, Hugh Newman, a lot of those guys went to him when they wrote wrote their book, uh, Giants on Record. Uh, I know he wrote the foreword and kind of helped him out with that book quite a bit. Um, but, you know, a lot of people have kind of taken Ross's research as well over the years where he's kind of where, yeah. never been kinda given credit. It. Yeah, um, but he's got Used a lot it. of books on archaeoastronomy of Serpent Mound and different things like that. But he's kind of right here. He lives an hour from us. Yeah. And we've got to interview him and hang out with him a few times, and he's just... He's a living wizard, yes. Ross. Magical yeah. human being. Yeah. That's the only way I can describe him. Yes. We do have a video on our YouTube channel with Ross where we interviewed him in 2020 um, on the winter solstice. So if you guys ever the mm-hmm. TSR live on YouTube, you can check that out. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it's Ohio's definitely a hot spot for it. We've got a lot of giant researchers here, and they've just – there's so many newspaper articles and, um, you know, countless stories in town hall reports or it's kind of there's something there it's it's weird artifacts that are out of place um yeah that's what got got me kind of hooked and i've lived here my whole life and didn't find out about this stuff until like 2013 yeah so imagine my surprise when i've been into the strange and the weird and the paranormal my whole life and never knew about giant skeletons being found in ohio no in ancient never, burial mounds never heard mentioned yeah we've we've yeah. <laughs> It's like, how does that happen? Yeah. 
Justin, how does that happen? Smithsonian did a good job. (laughs) Smithsonian did a good job. Yeah, like what you said, airbrushing the pictures. You airbrush enough pictures, you know. You airbrush enough history. You you rewrite a book enough this way. You change a a carving etching at Serpent Mound now that says, you know, used to say free to the public. You just airbrush that out of there. You just wipe it off the stone. You sandblast it off. Yeah. You just, you know. Again, it's who really knows where any of anything ever started, but you know, we're not gonna really know because we do this. A lot of cultures have done this over the years take over, you know, adopt, you know, repurpose, retool, uh, maybe not give credit. We just had Ross Hamilton where you're saying he doesn't even get credit, right? Mm -hmm. So, are we gonna give credit to the Giants? We don't give credit in modern day to somebody writing a you know, portion of a book or a citation. So, yeah, it's tough for us as humans to give credit for whatever reason. We just don't like to give credit, we want to take our own. Well, just like the Serpent Mound and down yeah. in Peru, and you see all these these giant connections and with these megaliths, yeah. and then the local people tell you, no, we didn't build it. Right. Oh, yeah, you did, the archaeologists and historians. Yeah, you did. You just forgot. But you see it throughout the world, all mm-hmm. these megalith sites and these cultures that are gathered around it that say they didn't build it. They, they found it this way. Or the ones that do have a an oral tradition – or history of that place, it's a common theme of the giants built it. Right. Right. Yeah. Stonehenge. Right. So many. Um, God, I just listened to one the other day. My father was like, he didn't want to watch Ancient Aliens. It's like, come on, Dad. It's like, <laughs> watch it on a Sunday or something, right? And it was Nan Madal. Yeah. And they were talking about the two giant brothers that constructed mm-hmm. Nan Madal and, you know, built these big basalt, you know, Lincoln log columns up and giant. stuff. And it's like. Those are so weird. Nan Madal is so it's strange. Different. There's a lot of places like that. But it's even like just, stone Lincoln logs. That's a great way to, to explain yes. it. It doesn't make any sense. Right. And how do you pick up those and move them? And Excuse me. It's funny because there was a post today that I was cracking up about because somebody was saying, you know, oh, the pyramid was built, you know, this way and that way. And we know it was pulleys and yada, yada, and X, Y, Z. And it's like, okay, if you know, but I'm just saying, if you know, then it should be undebatable. We should be able to reproduce it in some kind of CGI computer mock-up model with all the physics and everything built into it. We can do it, right? We have the computer power for that. We can do that. But nobody's ever proven it. It's always just like, well, I think. And I do with any theory. It's all theory. I get that. And that's why I say with yeah. any theory, I get really upset when it's like, it's just a theory. If you're mm-hmm. saying it's proven, then that's one thing, and then you should be able to do it. But if it's just a theory, don't act like it's so commonplace and everybody should be able well, to you hear, understand. We know. Like, we know better. We yeah. know the dates. It's just we, frustrating. There is no room for any debate. This is what is in the books, in the textbooks. You hear that. We know. We know that human beings have only been in North America for the yeah, okay, until no, Clovis. We don't. No, we now don't. Clovis yeah, is no. just Again. obliterated because of San Diego. That should be a human motto or like Florida. a crest when we're born. You should have this crest or, no, or some kind Catalina of insignia Island. that that we know that we know nothing. That Justin. should be everybody from the day one is you should be instructed that you should know that you know nothing, but you're learning as you go. By the way, you know Diddley. Yeah, Bo, Bo Diddley, baby. Bo Diddley. <laughs> you know Diddley. Gotta love That's that. That's one of our favorite sayings. But I now, I will say, Catalina Island, we covered on Strange Happenings. One of the, it's blowing up the entire textbooks right now on the age of people in North America is Catalina Island. The body they found was 23,000 years old. And it's Catalina Island off the coast of San Diego. We covered it in Strange Happening. So, boom, there you go. Circle back to Catalina Island. 
So, I mean, there's something to that place for sure. There were ancient people on that island for going back 23,000 years. Wouldn't you? So, you know, it wasn't a giant, but it's evidence of an ancient culture on Catalina Island. Everything we believe is not... a guess and the guess is, is wrong 90% of the time. I mean, even look at uh, that guy from, uh, shoot, I want to say his name is Richard, but I could be wrong. But I know he, he was from uh, California, the University of California. He actually found a triceratops uh, horn. And everybody that finds any kind of dinosaur fossils, they want to preserve it. Mm-hmm. Well, this guy gets the wild idea to cut it in half. He cuts it in half, and what's he find? He finds soft, living tissue. Hmm. If this thing is billions of years old, like they say, it wouldn't have soft tissue, live tissue in it. It's not, well, not billions, right? Millions. Yeah, 65 million years. Well, it's still a lot. Still a lot, regardless. Oh, yeah. 65 million years. I'm I'm not here to split hairs over that. Sorry, Justin. This is just where my devil's advocate stupidity comes in. Yeah, generally all that. You're right. Fossils that far back. Inca stones. But that should be. Inca stones. They're depicted riding dinosaurs and using them for weapons of war. I mean, man walked with the dinosaurs. Here's another wild one. Recently, they found a well-preserved part of a human brain that was like a couple thousand years old. They had no idea how it was preserved, like good tissue. So what you're saying is with even the 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 triceratops horn, I have a much tougher time wrapping my head around how does something millions and millions and millions and tens of millions of years old have good living tissue in it. But how, what do you think about certain things like that, like finding some of these out-of-place artifacts, right? Like where it's like the timeline doesn't match up and you're like, we haven't been here that long or how long have we been here? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, of course, and I'll go out and say it. I mean, it's a guess. You know, I mean, that's, that's 100%. we're all being honest. Sure. But, I mean, if you look at carbon dating, you can date something, and it says you know ten thousand years, and you can move one centimeter over, and now it's a hundred thousand. It's so all over the place, and if you look at the process of it, mm-hmm. they're dating rocks and saying it's this old by this other rock. Well, they're dating and, the material around the structure because you can't carbon date rock. So it's just yeah. they find organic material around. So if you dig down to a point and you get carbon, you test that. That doesn't mean that's the age of the structure. That just means people were there at that time. Yeah, and if, so and if you, you dig down great, deeper, most yeah. of the time they just don't dig down deeper. And then when just, you dig down deeper, guess what? You find more carbon. You, you find more that, stuff. And it pushes the date back. So that's here the craziest at, at stuff. Serpent Mound, that's the craziest stuff. They only dug two feet down Dude, and found the, the great. Stuff. We found a piece of carbon. We date it to, you know, twelve hundred AD. Yeah, and that's the date of it. But yeah. if you just kept digging down, 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 you would find probably much older carbon that could. But if you stop digging, yeah. But you can't even really trust that because no. If carbon you look dating's... at the biblical narrative, you know, there was a a great deluge. Right, yeah, yep. and, and even if you take the Bible off the table, it, there's many cultures throughout the world to have a to have the same story, just different names and caveats to it. Mm-hmm. But when you read in Genesis, it's a lot of people just get hung up on the rain. Mm-hmm. Not only did the rain come, it says that the waters from the abyss burst forth. So we know there's water underneath the ground. We dig wells oh, every yeah. day. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, Dr. Walt Brown, he wrote a book called In the Beginning, and he had a theory, and this guy worked for NASA. He was a smart guy. But his uh, hydroplink theory basically answers all the, the questions that we have, and it's like basically some kind of cataclysm happened, whether it was a comet, earthquake, but the something triggered these, these events. And when that happened, if you look at the Earth, it's a globe, well, the oceanic ridge is a, a fault line, like a scar that runs along the ocean beds all around the world, like a seam on a baseball. Well, that's a, a fracture line from this event. And he says what happened is all the magma and everything from underneath the, the core burst forth, and then all the uh, subterranean waters burst forth. Hmm. Well, when this happened, the plates pushed apart. He said, and he guessed, you know, he said maybe, you know, like 60 miles an hour. He said, and like a car hood, when you hit a wall, it crumbles upward, right? Mm -hmm. So he said the same thing happened here. He said, so all this water burst forth, this soot and this dirt and this ash. He said, and that's why when you look in the fossil record, you find dinosaurs that are still in the act of giving birth, still in the act of fighting in the midst of eating. They died instantly because they were either buried by all this ground that was threw up in this event. He said, where the plates were shifting, volcanoes were erupting, earthquakes were happening, soot was filling the air, it darkened the sun, brought down the temperatures of the earth and brought on the first mm -hmm. ice age. So with the whole carbon dating thing, it's like, that's why it's so all over the place, is because you could have a piece of, of dirt that was near the, the magma, and everything else that got threw up, and now it's on top, and everything's just been so displaced. Mm -hmm. and that's why you find the, the fossil record the way it is. And then, like you had mentioned, the Young Adrias, this brought on the first ice age. So then you had the first ice age, but it took, you know, like a thousand years or so for all this to happen. It didn't mm -hmm. happen instantly. Right. But that's why you find so many sunken cities, because they would, yeah. uh, they would build on these coastlines, and this newly formed land would sink. And then the ice later that would, would melt, and it would have another flood, but they was more like localized floods and stuff. But And I loved how he described all that. He's like, and that's why you see all the pelts on the near side of the moon, because this event, all this crust and rocks slinging out into the atmosphere and hitting the moon and just pelting it. And he said, in this oceanic ridge you see, that's why if you look, every single major mountain range in the world line up parallel with this ridge. Because we, it was once one supercontinent, and when this happened, it pushed everything apart. It's pretty wild stuff, man. If you haven't That's read that very book, interesting. I have never heard that, but you could it. tell I was captivated because yeah, I wasn't saying if word. If you want to keep going. You had me. And you got any more information about that. In the beginning. Right yeah. on. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I, I always have wondered. A I mean, copy. Hell yeah, man. I did always wonder when you look at Google Earth, especially how good of resolution it's getting, you look at it does look like it just, the Earth was just pulled apart in the Atlantic Ocean. It's a scar. Mm. It's like this. And it's, you know, like you said, the abyss, um, the oceanic cliff. I mean, we, we don't even have submarines that can go down there. And I don't know and if we've had it. We had the Atlantic Rift is no joke. Well, the Marianas Trench the Marianas is the deepest. Yeah, the Marianas Trench. Um, all those, 
you know, where those continental plates got pushed apart. It's just the we, amount of atmospheric pressure that is underneath that much water is impressive. But look at the scarring on let's the not ocean. Forget, let's not forget the recent, you know, Endeavor submarine that went down there with all yeah, the right. I wouldn't even ventures. Down. Yeah. This, that crushing pressure, though. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why it's still like one of the, you know, we talked about it yesterday with the whole Antarctica thing in the show and whatever about how many times can we say that there are places on the earth that are less explored than the freaking moon? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like we don't know our own backyard. Ocean. It'd be like, hey, you, you've owned this house. Have you seen the attic? Oh, no, no, no. We're not going up in the attic. We wouldn't do that. Why not? Yeah, like, think- go look. What gets me about Antarctica is is you can't get the the world's governments to agree on anything. Yep. But this one subject, yep. every single Bingo, world or nation in the world is in agreement to protect it, and all the world's governments work together right. to protect it. How Never is going on? Is that Never happens. Please That's expound upon road. that if you have any more That's thoughts upon that, road. because <laughs> I have a special place in my heart for Antarctica, and I don't even yeah. know when it started, but. Now that that icy ember's burning, I, it's not going to stop. Like, I'm just more interested. And you're saying the same thing. Things that I haven't even really thought of bringing up yet, but I'm aware of. But it is a weird topic of, like, everybody's like, you know what? Hey, hey, everybody, hands off Antarctica. Let's all agree. Even though there could be rich resources down there, strategic positioning around the world for whatever kind of defensive or offensive strategy, whatever you want. Right. Remember, we were talking about Antarctica moving south, and maybe it it was part of Atlantis. But does he talk about in that book? Oh, I don't know about that. Anything with Antarctica shifting down to the South Pole that maybe even Antarctica was was you know before this giant upheaval um, during the Younger Dryas period, um, or or was this much more a much more ancient event when when the ocean kind of exploded? It was like a. It was before that because the way he talked about it yeah. was it was one supercontinent, and then that happened, and then uh, all the water that uh, didn't make it out of our atmosphere it froze and came down in big chunks of ice. So mm. that's why you get the mammoth covered just in the middle of walking or mm. giving birth, frozen in time yes. instantly I because it's buried in ice instantly. Mm-hmm. And then the ones that were in the areas where the the dirt and just the large rocks went up and flew down that they were just buried alive yeah but he but his theory was was when this happened uh all the soot the ash and all the stuff from the volcanoes it darkened the sun and lowered the temperatures right. and brought the first ice age but once everything started settling and the temperatures came back up it caused this huge melt and the melt was uh, the young Adrias, and he mentions yeah. that in the book too. But he said that when this feet. happened, there was a big uh, polar shift mm-hmm. in, in the axis and stuff like that. So he, yeah, he talks about all that stuff too. Yeah, that's that's it's kind of what I've been hearing. <laughs> and there, at, at one of the points, there was a, all this was happening, but then then a comet came. And parts of the comet before the big one hit, which was Meltwater B, which they think was like the Canadian, um, the Canadian Arctic, mm. and then when p- the bigger part hit that, that's what melted all the glaciers. And then you see the Scablands and Lake Oneida up, uh, upstate New York, the the Finger Lakes, and in these features um, that all that meltwater came down and and just ripped apart the land. 
And, you know, that's it's good evidence that something cataclysmic, comet-related comet happened kind of at the beginning of that Younger Dryas, but then all the ash that you talked about, because the boneyard in Alaska, I don't know if you're hip to that, but all those animals were just buried in really a few acres. And they had Pleistocene animals that were never supposed to live in Alaska. And like you said, all of a sudden they were just buried like that. There's a layer of ash over everything where basically the entire forest or wherever they were completely burned. And that's because parts of those comets were breaking off and exploding like Tunguska all over the earth before they could impact. So then that's a lot of the fire and soot that they find apparently is because of Mm. these huge fires. And that polar shift, too, you can see, like, because the the mammoth and some of these animals that they're finding buried in these, uh, like, Arctic places Mm -hmm. have tropical food in their mouth and in their bellies. So this shows you that that Iceland used to be tropical. And if you look at some of the the, uh, uh, megaliths and stuff like that, they lined all these things up astronomically. So, like uh, America's Stonehenge, for instance, mm-hmm. if you've looked into that, they have found uh, a huge uh, Ouroboros rock formation built around the site, and it, it's basically the the snake eating its tail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they said in a lot of these alignments that they found line up with uh, Draco. Mm-hmm. So it was their theory uh, that Mister Stone in L.A that um, between that and some other uh, places, they're leaving my mind at this moment, but basically there was all kinds of astronomical alignments that pointed to Draco being the uh, North Star mm-hmm. at one point in time. Yeah, it's here at Serpent Mountain. That shows that shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Draco was the North Star at one point, and that's how they were. some people were trying to date Serpent Mountain is because Polaris is the North Star now, but that pole shift, it used to be to Draco, which is basically um, a part of the Big Dipper, I believe. It's like the head of the Big Dipper. No idea. Is, I will is, not even venture Draco. a wild guess in that but arena. But in ancient times, Serpent Mountain used to be aligned to Draco. And a lot of other weird places are as well, like you said. Um, yeah. That's really, really interesting. I hadn't heard that. That just blew my mind a little bit. Yeah, and then with the Bible, too, you know, it says that, you know, who's the prince of the power of the air? That ancient twisting serpent, quasi-cattle, you know, you, you get this serpent imagery mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. It's like ages. You right. know, they were venerating what they seen above, as above, so below. Just all this stuff is just fascinating. <laughs> and the religions are so similar with Egypt and right. Ohio, Native Americans, ancient people here. It's very, I mean, our our buddy Vijay from India and, and the connections with the Indian mythology and serpents and yoga practices. And it's just, it really, the connections is more and more of people like yourself that we have on. It's just constantly connections being made with uh, other people we're talking to that are coming across a lot of these similar veins. So, um what did you? What was your most interesting thing that you found out about um, from Ohio? Or w- actually, better question: What's something that's burning you up right now 
that you're really hip to or you're you're digging into right now, or maybe a recent episode that you've covered or somebody that you've interviewed that's just blown your mind? Well, one thing that I was looking into and uh, I was going to talk to you guys about today was uh, was the biblical Esau. And basically, I see a lot of connections with him, with ancient Sumerian texts. Uh, there's cryptid stuff in there. Uh, there's vampires. There's uh, Bigfoot or werewolf. Uh it's some pretty interesting stuff, and it, it's anchored in the Bible, but it, it goes back into uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh. It goes into uh, sacred garments from the Garden of God. It's a pretty wild story, man. If you if you guys like to hear about that, but uh, I would love I actually to. been been studying about that, and uh, but like I've told some people, I I've threw this at a few people, and they they said it's blew their mind, but. I've told them this is not a a hill that I'm prepared to die on, but there's lots of correlations that that point to this direction and, and dots are connected, and it makes a pretty good case that I think that uh, Esau could have very well been the uh, the very first Bigfoot seed. <laughs> hmm. Okay, I've heard. Why have I heard of Esau? Why do I know this? Okay, yeah, Esau, continue. Uh, this is uh, okay. Who is Esau? Let me ask that real quick because that's okay, in my head. When you now. get in, when you get in Genesis, uh, Esau was the uh, the the twin brother of Jacob, and Jacob, who was later right. uh, named Israel. Yes. And uh, but uh, when you get into Genesis uh, chapter twenty five and verse twenty two, it says. Uh, the children, and it's talking about these twins, it says, the children struggled together within her. So she inquired of the Lord. And verse 23 says, the Lord said, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided and one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Hmm. So it was like, He's basically telling her, there's, you know, there's two nations, two peoples within you. One's going to be stronger than the other, and that the older shall serve the younger. When you look into uh, how things were back then, was the the eldest son always got the inheritance, not the younger. Mm. So this was this was strange. Mm. So, but when you look at the the lexicon and get the definition. For the word stronger, as this guy, you know, is described the, the, the two nations or peoples within her. Uh, in Hebrew, that means yamas, which means stout. But uh, with this narrative about the two nations, and the two peoples, it goes back to Genesis 3 in the garden with the curse. And uh, so when you get there, Genesis 3, 14, it says, uh, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put immunity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, then you shall bruise his heel. You know, and a lot of people use that analogy, you know, of Christ. You know, the, uh, the serpent will bruise your uh heal but you will crush his head but it plainly says there 
He's going to put amenity between her seed, the woman, and your seed. And he's talking to the serpent. So that's definitely two people, you know, two seeds. So first off, like the word nakash, that, that's the, the Hebrew word for serpent. And are, are you, have you guys heard heard of this before, like the, the differing uh, uh, meanings of this word? No. Well, well, that word nakash, it can mean serpent. But just like English, you know, the Hebrew language is very diverse. One word can have multiple meanings. So, you know, context is very important. You know, this can mean serpent, but it can also mean shining one or one who practices, you know, divination. So when you read the the story of Genesis, you remember Adam and Eve's in the garden. This serpent offers uh, the the fruit and said, you know, you shall be as gods and, you know, the whole narrative with that. So it's like you got to ask yourself, this word nakash, what makes more sense in the story? Uh, a talking snake or a divine being that was, you know, in the garden of God. Because number one, you know, snakes don't talk. Snakes don't have legs. The curse said, you know, on your belly you shall go. And when this, you know, Nakash talked to Eve, she wasn't scared. She wasn't afraid. She trusted it. So obviously she had seen this thing every day in the garden it was, you know, amongst God's counsel, and, and she trusted it, right? So to me, that's the number one mistranslation of the Bible is that word nakash. So, Man, you're kind of freaking me out right now because I always thought that maybe that story was perverted in some way and that the serpent wasn't—he's the bringer of knowledge. Like, we all knew that. But mm-hmm. that it was a bad thing, like he was some satanic thing, or and to me, it, it, as I've well, kind of dug into some of this stuff, it, look, it, it does seem like it's that it really did get flipped on its head. Look but, at Prometheus. Yeah, he brought the fire down from the gods to humans, and you know, like did the same thing, like kind of gave the power where it right. shouldn't have been. And in, Quetzalcoatl, in this Veracocha, instance, what you're saying too is kind of like both. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's just a misinterpretation, maybe. I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've always felt that because, you know, when you start learning about the real story behind St. Patrick's Day and, and the saints and that what they were really doing was banishing the serpent cults and the old Celtic ways out of out of Ireland. It had nothing to do with real snakes. I did not know that. Yeah. And so forever they've been, you know, trying to—the serpent cults, or it's a worldwide symbolism— it doesn't have anything to do with the devil, I don't think. I think it represents, like he said, as a, as above, so below. And this, the serpent is able to go travel in between worlds, mm. and it's also a representation of ley lines, which connects us all the geometry and the astronomy and the ancient sites together. And so, I always felt like the serpent's always gotten a bad rap when it comes to Christianity and even what we grew up Catholic. Snakes always get a bad rap. So, you know, Archangel Michael comes down and we had those, you know, those cards. I had a medallion like yeah. that. Yeah. And my Archangel Michael. Middle name. He's got the serpent in his hand and he's got his blaming, you know, flaming blue sword. Yeah. Sweet. That's cool. Um, so wanna, I'm like, inch, I'm really kind of blown away that you said you're a Christian and mm. I've never actually talk to a Christian that 
has kind of unraveled that because it's mm-hmm. something that I've been really uh, – my research has led me to that the story of Adam Eve is definitely not what we've been told. You know, in the book of Enoch, know in about some of those older older scripts, it's it's a lot more of a story there. Yeah, which, I mean, it gets pretty wild because with that story, you know, after they uh, they bite the apple, the curse comes and they're kicked out of the garden. And it says that, you know, God clothes Adam and Eve because, you know, once they eat right. the apple, they realize that they're naked. Well, the Hebrew word there that God uses for clothes is uh, hilbish. So he clothes, he he bishes Adam's nakedness with a tunic. With, with that Hebrew word is kanonit. You know, a phrase that is most frequently used in the Torah to describe clothing of the priests in the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the book of Exodus, you know, that same word is used and it signifies to cover their nakedness and, that, and that's how it's translated in exodus uh, chapter 28 but basically what the story is trying to say here is that adam was the prototypical high priest of all creation and uh he was ordained the priest and all the other priests you know if you read through the rabbinic traditions and stuff they trace their origins back to adam in the garden and Aaron, his annual task was passing beyond the veil that covered the holiest of holies to make the sacrifice. And on that veil, there was depicted uh, two cherubim. And once again, that as above, so below imagery, it was that the holiest of holies in the tabernacle was symbolizing the Garden of Eden, the presence of God. They had to pass through these cherubim to enter the presence of God. And the priest was the only one allowed to do that. But um, so basically, the connection between Adam's original priesthood and the Aaronic high priest is most notably highlighted by the prophet Ezekiel. Oh boy! And uh, chapter chapter twenty eight. Now listen to this. This is pretty wild here. In this story, Ezekiel is talking to a ki- uh, the king of Tyre and condemning him. But like halfway through, it totally shifts. You can tell he's talking to a man, but then all of a sudden it shifts right here. And and just listen to some of this wording and, and ask yourself, is, is this a human <laughs> or is this any human you know, or is this an entity of some kind that he's talking to here? Uh, but it says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. And remember, he's talking to, to the king of Tyre here. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were in the holy mountain of God, and in the midst of the stones of fire, you walked, and that you were blameless in all your ways from the day that you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned, so I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. And then it goes on down, and it, you know, I was talking about the priesthood and stuff. It says, By the multitude of your iniquities and your unrighteousness of your trade, 
you profaned your sanctuaries. Hmm. So it's saying, you know, you were perfect in your ways. You were in the garden of God, a guardian cherub. Every precious stone was your covering, and it lists nine stones. You know, he's obviously, to me, he's not talking to the king anymore. You know, he's talking to a spiritual entity behind the king, influencing him, basically. And to me, this calls back to that Nakash, that shining one. And when you look at the description of his uh, coverings, it said, you know, the coverings that God made for him, you know, diamond, barrel, onyx, topaz, uh, gold engravings and encrustings. This outfit or this covering looks identical to the uh, the ephod that the priests wore when they entered the holiest of holies. The only difference is is that the priests, when you read through the Old Testament, there was twelve stones listed. Where here there was only nine. So, with that in mind, this this thing would definitely be shining. Mm-hmm. So it fits. It fits the description Reflective. of the Nakash. Mm-hmm. You know. So, uh, let me see. You think this yeah. Nakash is just some like entity that behind the scenes is like the puppet master of some kind for, um, and and it's like some not maybe it's just like a you know high priest on a trying to control early civilization. I don't know. Well, see, when you look at the the Bible, okay, like, for instance, Mount Olympus, you had a pantheon of gods. Yep. And they all had their own little sections of creation or whatever to, to reign over. Yeah. Right? But you had one high king of the gods, which was Zeus. Mm-hmm. You didn't mess with Zeus. Yeah. And you have all these same stories throughout multiple religions of the world. And that is in the Bible. Uh, God has a divine counsel, and it talks about in Psalms 82 and, and several other places in the Bible. But God, Yahweh, was the creator God above them all. So this Nakash, this shining one, was a divine being on God's holy mountain and a member of his council, which he does rebel with Adam and Eve here and is cast out. So therefore becomes basically like a fallen angel. And he's okay. I see where you're going with this. And yeah. And he rebelled and he turned. So at one time he was like the high priest over all creation. Yeah. And because he rebelled his coverings that was described here, what I think was taken from him and given to humanity. So the the thing that you tried to trick and curse, basically, God exalts and takes your privileged position and gives it to mankind. Okay. And, and not only that, you had nine stones. I'm giving mankind 12. So not only are you being thrown out of heaven, downgraded, and this lesser being is getting your coverings, I'm giving them some extra stones, and they're going to be exalted over you anyway. 
And so that that's the the garments or the skins. So and that that's Satan. who I'm talking about here. Oh, I'm picking up what you're laying down, brother. <laughs> yeah. So it's like that answers your question: Why Satan hates humanity? Why he's constantly trying to uh, torment you and and put you through the ringer? Is because number one, he was created first. He's the elder brother. You know, the divine race was created before us. When you get in the book of Job, uh, he condemns Job and he says, you know, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I done this and I done that? You know, and he says, and the morning stars, the sons of God sang for joy at the sight of creation. So it was showing that these divine beings, yeah, the like old the ones. Nakash, yeah, the old were ones. The, there are elder brothers. Yeah, they're demigods. I mean, that's like Thoth. That's even before well, goes, Osiris and the Egyptians. You know, they all kind of have their... same own. with the Greek, and it goes same again yeah. with what he's saying mm-hmm. with you have the gods, and then you have the Olympians, right? You had Hercules, and you had the actual, like, champions on Earth that were, like, part god, Odin, part human. Odin and Thor and all uh, those guys. man, yeah. yeah. Those the Nephilim. Yep. And the, the Nephilim Indian. from Genesis 6. Yep. Yep, there, well, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Hercules, right? Her- yes. Hercules basically a Nephilim. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> all the Indian legends are very, very similar. But it permeates star people. so many different theologies and, and, and cultures and histories, too, of, you know, even certain timelines and That's certain dates thing. and certain things that just make, you know. The thing is, is that Justin's a Christian, VJ's. Well, Vijay actually is a Christian, but, you know, he's very much into Hinduism and yoga and, and things like that. But everybody's kind of saying the same thing. It's that's, just in a different... saying. If we all spoke the same language, we would find out that we actually all have the same history. Pretty much. If you go back far enough, I mean... And we did at one time. Yep. Yep. Tower, the Tower of Babel. Babel. Yep, mm-hmm. bro. Oh, I God. love that. That's what... I'm not a very big religious buff did, even growing up. Did you end up, up getting you know, connected with Vijay? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, Dr. Judd Burton and stuff, uh, we talked to him a little bit about that. But with with but with Esau and these garments, man, now going back to Esau, and I, de- I gave you that context, that way you, you knew about the Nakash and what the coverings were. Mm-hmm. Because okay. a lot of people miss that whole context. A lot of people just think, oh, God killed a, a goat or a lamb and made right. them some some boxer briefs and a bra. Wow. You know, no, there's a lot more to that. Yeah. But the, the birth of Esau. Comfortable. Not bad. Right. Be warm. <laughs> be <Right>. itchy, <laughs> but warm. You got to pay a lot of money in REI for that. Get your goat strap. <laughs> yeah. But the, the birth of Esau, remember I mentioned he was the twin brother, yep. the two nations, and uh, Satan and his curse, you know, said your seed and her seed will be at amenity with one another. So Genesis 25, 25 is the birth of Esau. And it says, the first came out red all over his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. What? After his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. So my opinion here is that we already see this Nakash, Satan, flipping the script of the curse. We know the chosen seed 
is Jacob from the biblical text. So in my opinion, you know, what was this Nakash flipping them around in the womb and pushing Esau to the front? That way his heel was pushing on Jacob's head and Jacob was holding Esau's heel coming out. But the thing I want to really draw emphasis on is he comes out red mm-hmm. and hair all over his body like a cloak as an infant, newborn infant. Sounds squatchy to me. Exactly. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's not normal. <laughs> I think I've heard this story, too. I, I feel like uh, Mr. E talked to me about Esau or something during CryptidCon or I've something I've never like heard that. anything about this. It's interesting. Yeah. I like yeah. it. Um, Definitely there's people, some wild stuff in the Old Testament, bro. Oh, yeah, man. And the thing is, if <laughs> you're not reading weird. it with their ancient mindset and knowing yeah. their history mm-hmm. and their right. euphemisms and all this kind of stuff, you miss a lot of it. Man. But that's the whole a thing about going important. to church, too. Like as a kid was I heard the same stories. I heard the same Bible verses, think, whatever. They never got any of the, any of the good stuff. I don't think a lot of mm. it was spiritual. They should have done Ezekiel more, got into like, Enoch or something. Or, you Satan know, like, and you know, all this, these or, things were people. They were demigods. They were superhuman, ancient people that were living in a very advanced civilization that was just ended up, they were, you know, the the people of old hmm. is what, what the Egyptians, the before time they talk about, where they have these kings lists where these guys live to be a thousand years old. Yeah. And the insane. Sumerians have a similar kings list. And this is the pre-dynastic Egyptians where they don't even – and that's who's building these cyclopean structures with these massive, yes. massive blocks, mm. which, you know, maybe Egypt was uh, – the pyramids and the Sphinx, I think, were built right after the Younger Dryas as a way to get people together to build something to re-encode all of the knowledge that they had lost from the floods. And that's their story. Thoth and all of these guys came to Atlantis. You know, they were all giants uh, from Atlantis to Egypt. They encoded the Sphinx and these temples to preserve their knowledge and, you know, essentially got hunter-gatherers together to... So it's kind of like your first big civilization after the flood. But before that, that's where all the stuff is underwater, under ice. And, you know, we're going to start finding right now. It's what they call the Golden Age. Yeah. When the gods walked amongst men. And a lot of you know, in that's South Genesis America. 6. You know, you get the book of Enoch, it said these fallen angels came down, and just like Prometheus, he brought the fire, which was symbolic for the knowledge. That's exactly what happened, according right. to the mm-hmm. book of Enoch. They came down, bred with human women in these ancient societies. To get a bride, you had to pay a price for it. And you marriages were arranged strategically to to better the family so how would you do any better than trading your daughter to <laughs> you know what the indians call the star people the okay. people that come from heaven that were huge had all this knowledge could build these megalith sites and super strength and had all this knowledge you know what i mean so and they were they were worshiped as gods and that's just like these elongated skulls. Yeah. I mean, you find these down in Peru. Yeah. All these that you find here. Uh, that's not they, normal. Those are corrupt. They, they're, they're missing the uh, Sadra Sutra lines here. Right. And people say, oh, well, it's head binding. Well, 
all the ones that we found that we know are head binding, they still have that Sadra Sutra. Line. Right, right. You're not mm-hmm. gonna you're not gonna lose that. Right. Binding doesn't lose it doesn't, that. And then yeah. also yeah. your cranius magnum where your uh, spine attaches to your skull, mm-hmm. it's always dead center for balance to hold the head up, right? Right. Well, when you look at these guys, their cranius magnum is all the way at the back. Yeah. So I'll just put this on my finger for for reference. That's wild, dude. It just hold it goes straight down. You'd be looking at your toes all the time. Right, right. Hmm. So to to counterbalance that, you would need an extra long neck. Mm-hmm. Oh my, and, dude! And when you read the Bible, it talks about these giant clans, and it's called mm-hmm. the the Anakim, and the Anakim translates to long-necked mm-hmm. so all that stuff's in there but then you even ask yourself well who was these people trying to emulate mm-hmm. you know I, I jokingly use morgan wallen as a reference the mullet <laughs> you see all these kids running around with these mullets and stuff a few years ago <laughs> they sure. were trying to imitate morgan wallen gotcha so all these ancient people that were binding their children's heads and doing this which was excruciatingly painful right they were doing it to emulate these genesis 6 fallen angels that's interesting i see what you're saying there right absolutely i mean yeah it's it's just crazy what do you but, think north america was where do i think it was just or, i don't know if you've ever come across of like the civilization in north america you know what do you think was going on there? Do you think it was some outpost from these civilizations? Do you what think civilization are you talking about in North America? Just all the mound builders and the ancient okay. stuff that we have here, the the Chacoans, you know. I know well the South American Southwest, there most of that influence is from the South, but I mean, you know, you have a lot of people talk about Turtle Island here in North America, Ohio being part of Turtle Island, that it's it's really an Atlantis outpost. You know, these are some things that, is there anything in the Bible or your research that talks about North America or another civilization that they came to? Because isn't that what Fritz Zimmerman kind of hits on a little bit? That he's trying to track when these giants came to North America? Yeah, it's his view, which I I share, it's called uh, uh, diffusionist. And basically, we believe that ancient man was sailing the globe and, oh. and, and exploring all these different continents 100%. long before the Vikings, long before Christopher Columbus. Yep. And that's why when you go to Egypt, you see these depictions of corn. Corn is not indigenous to, to the Middle East, right. but North America it is. Yep. And these giants, you know, are associated with the, the worship of the sun and the Phoenicians, you know, in the Bible are recorded, and not just in the Bible, but just through many ancient cultures, the Phoenicians were known to be masters at uh, being seafaring people. Mm-hmm. Modern day Lebanon and were, now. That's, yeah, that and where they worshipped the sun, they loved copper. Mm-hmm. So they come to North America, and that's what they were mining for all this copper and stuff. Yeah. And then, find all the uh, Egyptian uh, artifacts in the Grand Canyon. I think that uh, 
biblically it's mentioned as a there's this land that's kind of mysterious is like Ophir. I've heard people theorize that maybe that was North America. Mm, that's that, what that I was they would asking. travel out here and mine and and get, get all these resources and food and stuff and then take it right back over. Yeah. Well, you think about it, the South American and Yucatan cultures especially weren't going to be affected by the ice ages. So during even the younger dryest, like you said, they would an ice age would form, it would melt, all this flooding. It blocks out the sun for a little bit, and then it, it freezes again. Well, down in Peru and in Mexico, those cultures are going to keep continuing to evolve, and that's where you see Sacsayhuaman and all these just ridiculous, massive megaliths that fit together perfectly without even putting a piece of paper through them uh, in between the, the cracks. And so that's where I think South America and the Yucatan is – it was just never affected. Like I think North America has just – had just been wiped out. So there's just not much for us. Um, and, you know, the Olmecs and the, Do- and the Dogon and the connections with, you know, African cultures and uh, – but I think South America and the Yucatan was just a hub for yeah. so many ancient cultures. You know, look at the Olmec and uh, the statues from Easter Island. Mm-hmm. They they look so much like like African nation peoples, yeah, and definitely Polynesian. Um, and there's multiple those Olmec heads. Some of them do look African. Some of them look they all. Some of them look European almost too. It's really really strange. Some of them have beards with like pointed pointed beards. Um, Mesopotamian. And, it is really strange. And that's like those skulls. Uh, uh, L.A. done DNA testing on it, and and that's what that one is. It's an actual uh, uh, a casting of those Paracas skulls, one of them. Yep. And the DNA testing they done showed that it, they were from the Levant. Hmm. Now How did I have it wind up that, all the way over there? I have heard that. that, that what's that genome called? Genome X or the haplogroup X is this European DNA that they've found in, in some people in South America – um, Native Americans in North America, this haplogroup X. I don't understand it. I, I feel dumb when I hear people try to explain it. <laughs> I still have not been able to wrap my head around just how that DNA ended up over here. Or, um, but it's there. They was sailing over here. Yeah, and and, that, and I love how he said it too because he tied it with the Bible. He said that, and that's what's crazy is when you look at all the tribes listed that they attacked and obliterated and God said, kill every man, woman, and child. Don't spare any, you know, it looks kind of ruthless, Yeah, but it's a, it's a seed war. If you look and, and do the research, he has them travel. I mean, long distances passing many tribes. And he tells them, don't, don't harm this tribe. Don't, don't bother these people. But then they'll travel, you know, hundreds of miles to a, a certain clan that God tells them to specifically go after. And every single clan that he tells them to devout to destruction, when you do the research, they were all giant clans. Mm. They were cleansing the land of these giants and, and the, the DNA is what, what he's trying to do. And what happened was is these Phoenicians and these people were already, you know, experts at building ships and, and sailing the seas. Uh, L.A. and Fritz theorizing, it makes a lot of sense to me and it answers a lot of questions, is that 
they knew that they were clearing out the Levant. News was traveling. So the ones that could get away mm. run to these ships and set sail for America because they'd been going back and forth there this entire time, and they knew it was far enough away that they could right. live and thrive. I mean, that makes sense. If they were coming here to get copper from Michigan and all these big, giant, huge copper deposits that we have, and they could easily get up there through the Great Lakes system and up through the rivers from the East Coast, um, yeah, it's interesting stuff. And and I'm a, I'm definitely a dispersion person too, a diffusion person. I, I don't think that the oceans were blockades for people to trade information and and art. I just don't. I think that people were traveling in ancient times. I think we just don't you know, want to admit that there was a lot more seafaring activity. There's a lot higher frequency of contact between best. ancient civilizations. We do it better. We just don't want to admit the fact that yeah. maybe they were just seafaring. Maybe they didn't have airplanes and flying around, but they were really rocking the boats and they were getting back and forth across. You know, Tamanadu following the turtles. You know, mm-hmm. water following the currents. You know, oceanic travel and navigation. I mean, again, it's. Yeah, you got the the structures and settlement stuff they yeah. found on Africa, whatever half a million years. I mean, you got to talk to VJ. Like, I know uh, you asked yeah. for his information. Um, oh yeah, I definitely will be. Ju- Justin, I, I'd let VJ know. I think he He'll did blow ex- your mind. accept your uh, your invitation um, yeah, to did. connect. Yeah, he's he will blow your mind. Uh, he he's got that knowledge from ancient India. He's got that lens. And then comes over to the United States and sees ancient sites here with a totally different perspective than we do. That's what really struck me with Vijay is is looking at the similarities from his culture in India yeah. and these ancient places in Ohio. And it's kind of like pattern recognition. You're mm-hmm. seeing the same things and the same kind of patterns and you're going, and why? He started digging into the languages. It'd be like you going to another country and going, that's a baseball diamond. They're playing baseball out there. Yeah. What the hell? That's baseball. I know baseball, but they're not calling it baseball. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it'd be like. Same kind of concept, you know, it's just you would have such an overwhelming recognition of it and like this weird like why it'd be almost kind of like deja vu. Like, yeah. Why do I recognize this? Because it's just it shouldn't make sense. It should line up because what we're told. We just put mm-hmm. so many blockages on like, no, this is the way it just is. But what if it's not mental filters? What if it's not the way it is? Yeah. What if it's something that we're missing and we're not leaving an open conversation for to Add to the story. All I know is that I don't know. It's okay. You can add to the story. All I know is that I don't know. You can't say you know. That's what drives me nuts. We know. We know better. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're wrong. Could it be? Very possible. It's only been 100 years, really. Archaeology and these kind of studies have been going. And uh, they don't introduce enough multidisciplines. Yeah. And they don't really research all that much. No. I mean... Let's put it this way. They're not in the archives digging up documentation most of the time. They're looking for, you know, pottery shards and... and, Oh, I see what you're saying. Archaeologists. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, someone like Jeffrey Wilson, he's 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 digging back into the history of everything. Whereas, you know... Scholars are not. It's just a different... The scholars are not. It's important. Well... Maybe um, some scholars are. There are some scholars that are that I just think, I think if you don't tell the line, I, if you don't tell the line, you're in wrong. trouble. No, if you don't tell the line, though, you're in trouble. It's just like yeah. with anything, man, in any profession, in any career. You don't tell the line with the, the narrative and the filtration method that they're using. They'll be like, get so-and-so the hell out of here. Like, they, they're going to screw things up for us. Yeah. You know? 
And I was but, uh, curious, uh, what did you find from the time of the Garden of Eden? Because I've always wondered, there's just these massive, like the Bible and all these ancient stories, they tell these stories in chunks, but there's like, what happened from Adam and Eve all the way to Noah's time and Enoch before the Great Flood? Like, what is happening in that time? What is the civilization like? Are there, There's just giant people running around everywhere. Um, and it's a civilization that's kind of like falling down. Um, what do you think? Well, I mean, that was one of those times where, you know, you didn't have written languages. Even when you got the Bible, the Old Testament written down, it was passed through oral tradition, mm-hmm. you know, for thousands of years for it was finally written down. But if you believe that, you know, the, the, fallen sons of God came down and bred with the daughters of men, just, you know, like the, the Olympians gods say, just like the, the Norse mythology says, I mean, you, you see it. everywhere. Oh, are you talking about what's it called? Oh God, what's that movie? Oh my God. With the Norse mythology. Oh yeah. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. Northman. No, the old, old, old story. One of the oldest stories. I'm never going to think of this. Oh, Grendel. Grendel. That, that. What is that? With the Grendel. What is that? You know what I'm Hansel and Gretel. Well, uh, Beowulf. 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 That kind of weird stuff. Yeah, so this was a time when you had giants running around. You had gods. I mean, it's Lord of the Rings. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's how it was back then. Yep. Wow. And then it was continual evil, and uh, it just got so bad that that God brought the the flood and hit the, the, the first true great reset. Yeah. Where does Atlantis fit f- from your studies with the the Old Testament? Where does how does because really see, we get don't the even story see from the, the Bible. Okay, because that's just but, a big missing chunk. Or is the does the bio, those stories start after Atlantis was already fallen? see my see my opinion, and I, I mean, like I said, I mean, I I don't have all the answers. I got more questions than I got answers. Yeah, yeah, I feel but, but. I was always under the opinion that Atlantis was an allegory for the flood, the pre-flood world. Mm-hmm. It's not the a pre-flood city, world was an advanced, advanced civilization <clears throat> where the, the, the gods, lowercase g gods, the fallen sons of God mm-hmm. came down right oh, with the daughters I of men. What you're saying. They crossed DNA and made minotaurs and all these crazy, just, you know, monsters of the ancient world you have all these myths about and just advanced technology and finally till you know God got fed up with it. Do you think that Atlantis was wiped off by God? Is that what you're saying? I mean that's I think Atlantis was an allegory for the entire civilization of Earth. Oh oh whoa whoa it's an allegory. Yeah. It's not the city. There might be a city because the Greeks, uh, Solon, who is Socrates' grandfather, he got the story. So you think it's from a Greek allegory Egypt, for the biblical but flood? Atlantis was in a word, was the, never in a Same Egypt, story, Egyptian different version. Word. I feel you. I got you now. Sorry, Atlantis I'm slow on the uptake. It wasn't with an Egyptian word. There was no Egyptian word for Atlantis. And I really don't That's know that much Solon, about Atlantis. Solon called it Atlantis. I know enough about it, but. But there's no word or. Story. There is a story in these ancient texts. Plato or Socrates wrote and, about it sinking. Yeah, but they went and studied in 
Egypt and got the story from e- Solon. From Manethos. Traveled to okay. Egypt and was studying the mystery schools. This wasn't schools. a firsthand written account by the Greeks. No, they learned it from the Egyptians. Gotcha. Okay. But the Egyptians didn't have, they didn't call it Atlantis. That's what Solon called it. And then he passed the story down through his lineage. And Socrates is the one that wrote it down and told it from Solon's account, gotcha. from going to Egypt. Jesus. Yeah. Telephone. And that's just, I mean, that's just Greek. So before that, the Egyptians had the story and the temple of Edfu or one of those is is where it's a giant, huge uh, hieroglyphic wall and perfectly carved. But it does tell the story of the the old ones that came See, from I the land. I think the pyramid and all that is uh, pre-flood buildings and stuff that survived. Yeah. Because... Because like that, I can't remember the name of the king, but the king that uh, found, according to legend, uh, the Sphinx, he was wandering the desert mm-hmm. and seen the head of it yep. tipping out of the sand yeah. and heard a voice saying, yep. dig me up. Yep, absolutely. He found it fully formed. And then later, I think it was Anubis. It was then a later, a king carved his face into yeah. it because sure. the head is totally not proportionate to the body. Right. Repurposed it. It's way and, smaller. And if you look at all these civilizations, because we was talking about it earlier, they find these megaliths and these great structures, and they build their civilizations around it. Yeah. So it's like you talk about Atlantis, you know, being this you know great city with all these advanced technologies. Mm-hmm. It was, in fact, symbolic for just the pre-flood world. Yeah. Here's this big uh, pyramid laid perfectly north, south, east, west. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lined up astronomically with Orion, with the Nile lined perfectly with the Milky Way. And they talk about, you know, the esoteric schools. They believe that it was used to uh, like a a planisphere where you uh, observatory and basically your spirit passed through mm-hmm. the, the seven spheres, you know, and all, all this type of stuff. So it was like, and they even say in the mystery schools that later develops into your secret societies like the the cult of mithras and freemasonry and all this stuff that was their uh some of their rites and their initiations you know that they would ascend the seven steps you know in the ladder jacob's ladder Mm -hmm. and freemasonry when they go to the uh second degree they go up the spiral staircase that has seven steps that was all symbolic for the the seven planetary planetary spheres of ascension that the body must go through or the spirit must go through in the afterlife it's just it's just all kinds of crazy you know symbolism and stuff with the mystery schools with that it's just it's yeah, wild it's, <laughs> there's it's, a lot there it is and the sphinx being built probably before the younger driest floods because of the enclosure and all of the weathering that they had found on the, coming off of the Sphinx enclosure, guess what? 12,800 years ago, that's when it was raining really freaking hard. I mean, that's— And they have the yeah, ev- geological Chuck. evidence of that. And the at that time, guess where the Sphinx was aligned to? Leo. Yeah. That thing was a lion. Makes sense then. So back then, the procession of the equinox— Why? I don't understand The wobble why? of the earth— now it's facing a different constellation. Why mess with the timeline? Twelve thousand eight hundred. Why years mess ago? with the timeline though? 
Why distort time history? You know what? You know what I mean. Like even if you want to say, even if you want to say, I get that. But even if you want to say, you Justin were like ruler of the planet for a hundred years. Great, a hundred years. Is that what it's about? Is it to say like I just want to misconstrue how long it was here? Like I don't get it. What's the whole point? Why can't they just say, hey, it actually did happen at this point, and here, like to me, it doesn't make sense. I think it's just ego strokes because think about it, you know, it's just uh, men, men in general. Mm-hmm. We're flawed. Hey, I, I, I caught a, a six-inch uh, bass the other day at the river. Oh, yeah? It's well, I, I once caught uh, a 12-footer at, at that very same spot. <laughs> oh, you did? Oh, well, I caught one that was two-foot. You know what I mean? We're, we're egomaniacs, and it's all, a, you know, a, a woohoo measuring contest. yeah. Well, and even get, Gary Wayne was talking about, you know, the Sumerian Kings list, how you see if one king says he killed a thousand men by his sword, the next king, and he ruled for a hundred years, the next king ruled for 200 years and right. killed 2,000 with his sword. Right. He said, so it's kind of like ven- they used it as veneration. Right. And or even, if you're Kim Jong-il, you've hit like 12 holes in one on your first time golf. Right. And you never <laughs> poop. <laughs> you wipe your ass with butterflies. Yeah. You never poop. I love that. Everybody poops he, except for Kim Jong-il. God. Yeah. <laughs> but he even said, Gary said right. that uh, they get misconstrued because uh, it's his opinion that the the incoming king or new god uh, would uh, basically inherit the mythos of the other, and they would just build upon it. Yeah, they did that all through uh, mm-hmm. uh, Cambodia at uh, Angkor Wat and all of the structures and temples and sites out there. Just when one religion would come through, they would just deface all the old gods, and they would put up theirs, and... You'd like walk in and they'd be like, yeah, they just never put another one up. It's like somebody coming into another house and going, I just forgot to hang a picture there. Chalola. Yeah. Chalola. That it really muddies yeah. the waters of yeah. history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But And that's the whole thing that's a real problem, too, is we don't have a great um, contiguous contextual history, right? Like we have these Not broken events of setting this library on fire or burning mm-hmm. this section or getting rid of all these books or because you know, of ego, the, too. And, yeah. and and the cloistering and the still um, guarding of information, you know, Internet really helped, one, like level the playing field. Everybody could get to information equally. But there are still oh. very sacred books and texts and tomes and scripts and whatever that, you know, the whole Da Vinci Code stuff with the with where he's in the, you know, the Vatican. And he's in the glass rooms where it's, you know, humidity controlled and all that. I mean, I, I believe that's real. Like they have. Miles and miles and miles and miles of bookshelves. God, right? I'd love to get down there, bro. Right. So I still think there are some of those kind of Fort Knox of informational there is. Uh, cornucopias that mm-hmm. exist yeah, out there. one of them. In private collections. Oh, yeah. Think of private yeah. collections, too. Like, think that's about not that a joke. One billionaire that got busted with all the... Uh, the cuneiform my, tablets, yeah, all he, the, the the early Sumerian tablets. The guy yeah. for Hobby Lobby or Michaels or whatever yeah. it was, it was one of those yeah. craft shops. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's talking about the muddy and of the waters and stuff and how, you, uh, would you say in India, how they just defaced the, the statues, put it the was in uh, Cambodia on it and stuff. Yeah. Cambodia. Yeah. So you get this, you know, even in the, the Middle East, because with this uh, Esau rabbit hole that I went down in the Bible, it talks about just basically it says that Esau was a mighty hunter. And that's the same descriptions used for Nimrod. Nimrod was a mighty hunter. Yes, he was. Okay. Well, 
it says that Esau was a mighty hunter in the field, and and one day he comes back from the field and uh, is starving and tells his brother, because he's the eldest, you know, he gets the inheritance, uh, told his brother, uh, give me some of your stew that you're you're fixing, and uh, I'll give you my birthright. You, you can have it. And Jacob's like, well, promise me that you will. Yeah, I'll give you some of this food. So he trades his inheritance for a bowl of stew. And it's just kind of vague, and that's all you really hear about it. And it stands out to It always stood out to me. It's like, dude, you had the keys to the kingdom, and mm. you traded it for a bowl of soup? Hmm. Why? This makes no sense to me. But when you dig into these other extra biblical books, you know, that's not in the, the canon, like the book of Enoch you referenced earlier, Bub. Yeah. Uh, but Jasher, Jasher goes into more details on some of these vague stories. Well, the book of Jasher says that he did, in fact, come from the field. But what they leave out, or I get, and it might have been because this was part of the oral tradition, and they thought everybody already knew it. There was no sense in beating a dead horse. Right. But, but Esau was in the field. And right, and you got to remember, he was born red all over, hairy like a cloak from head to toe. Very Sasquatchy or, or very uh, Jersey Devil, werewolfy. You yeah. know what I mean? Dog Manny. So, and Nimrod was described as a mighty hunter. Well, in the Book of Jasher, it says that uh, Nimrod and three uh, or two of his mighty men, which is in Hebrew Gabor, which is the same words used to uh, specifically describe the Nephilim, okay. the Gabor, the Giborim. Okay. So it says that they were hunting in the field and that uh, uh, Nimrod despised Esau and stalked him and was after him his his whole life. So if he was a mighty hunter, it's like he's seen this beast of the field and he was hunting him like a wild game. Wow. And it said that, that Esau saw this and hid in the bush and that uh, when the two other Gibberim walked away, he jumps out from his hiding place and kills Nimrod. What, bro? Then the Gibberim turn around and come after him, and he fights them you know, to the death and ends up killing all of them, but yeah. he chops off the head of Nimrod. And then the military men that were there like hanging out on the outskirts heard all the screaming and come running. He saw them coming, and it said that he turns around and takes the garments from Nimrod. And it said, and these were the garments that uh, uh, made him to rule over all the nations and, and that made him a, a, a mighty man. And I mm -hmm. thought that was kind of strange. I was like, well, these garments, you know, what's what's so special about these, these garments, you know, that he made sure to, to grab these from Nimrod. Well, then it goes on to say that he runs back home and he's, you know, been in an epic battle with three giants and he storms into his house. And uh, in that story in Genesis, he says, you know, I'm starving. Give me the stew. And Jacob's kind of, you know, pleading with him. You know, like, Mel, promise me you're not going to deceive me. And he's like, I, I will be dead. What use is a birthright to me? So he runs in, and this is what the context misses, is that he just got in a fight with three giants to the death, was probably bleeding out and knocking on death's door. So his brother Jacob fed him and nursed his wounds and, and looked after him. But he took the garments 
and his inheritance as a trade to save his life. Mm. Doesn't seem like but when a you go, trade. Right. But And when you dig through uh, Jasher, it talks about uh, these garments again. And, you, and, of course, you're like, you know, what's so special about these I garments? I really want to know about these garments, bro. Yes. And uh, it says that these garments, uh, when you go back to Jasher 7, it talks about these garments. And it says, And Cush, the son of Ham, the son of Noah, took a wife in those days in his old age. And she bare a son, and they called his name Nimrod, saying at the time the sons of men again began to rebel and transgress against God. And the child grew up, and his father loved him exceedingly, for he was the son of his old age. And the garments of skin, which God made for Adam and his wife, when they went out of the garden, were given to Cush. For after the death of Adam, his wife, the garments were given to Enoch, the son of Jared. And when Enoch was taken up to God, he gave them to Methuselah, his son. And at the death of Methuselah, Noah took them and brought them into the ark. And they were with him until he went out of the ark. And it says, and in their going out, Ham stole those garments from his father, Noah, and took them and hid them from his brothers. And when Ham begot his firstborn, Cush, he gave them him the garments in secret. And Cush had them many days. And Cush begot Nimrod. And gave uh, gave Nimrod the garments. And it says here specifically, and when Nimrod grew up, and when he was twenty years old, he put on those garments. And Nimrod became strong when he put on the garments. And God gave him might and strength, and he was a mighty hunter in the earth, a mighty hunter in the field, and hunted the animals, and built altars, and offered up upon them animals before the Lord. So when you read in Genesis, it's like Nimrod wasn't a Gabor. But all of a sudden, it says he became Giborum. Sounds like Neo so Jasher, from the Matrix. Like he got the upload and like got all the information on how to become like a badass. And it, Jasher tells you that when he became twenty years old, he put on these garments, garments which were the coverings of Satan, the Nakash. And once he put these on, he became a Giborum. So because it's like a metamorphic change, like you said in Jasher, it talks about how the garments came from Adam and Eve and the Nashir was the one that was talking to Adam and Eve and basically got the garments from them. And so this whole time, those garments are being passed down. And so do you think it's just some kind of like evil thing? Do you think it's, I mean, what do you think the garments are? Is it just something for power to then go out and conquer? Or what is the, that's, what do they get at there? Well, see, I think that, you know, I mean, obviously there's, there's some power in them because they, they were made by God and hmm. given to the Nakash and they were right. his coverings. They were he made rebelled by God first. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And then he removed the garments, the coverings of the Nakash, and gave it to Adam and Eve. So then it was passed down through the lineage. And then when it's given to Nimrod, it just all of a sudden he becomes a Giborim, a Giborim, a Nephilim. But I think it's uh, uh, not a this or this. It's a this and this. I think it was through the Tower of Babel, occult practices, and uh, sex magic, different things like that combined with these garments 
that he became a, a, a mighty man. And there's there's just something in there. The origin to priestly robes. You know yes. what I mean? Like the garments that people wear. Like you always wonder why growing up serving for Catholic priests, like we always wear robes. They have these big flashy robes. Cassocks. Yeah. Was that what they're called? Cassocks. And they have the, you know, the uh, scarfs that they put around them. And they wear these big, giant, crazy hats. I mean, Maybe that's got, what it really is. What is that called? Wonder, What's that called? I can't remember. Where all that comes from. The priestly tie. Yeah. And so many, <laughs> so many religions have, you know, their priests are robed and have these garments and... A lot of symbols. Kings. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's an interesting, interesting yeah. story. It's yeah. interesting. I, yeah. I haven't heard but, but that. See, I, I, I think we see Esau and Nimrod in the Epic of Gilgamesh. Okay. And that's why I was getting at the things being twisted. Okay. Because a lot of people already connect Gilgamesh to Nimrod. I mean, that, yeah. that's a pretty well-known thing right there. Mm-hmm. But... <clears throat> What's crazy is like when you go through the the king's list and all these other things, you know, it mentions Gilgamesh and it says that he was a great builder, you know, and you think of the Tower of Babel, you know, and the Sumerian king's list talks about him, Merker. His root name means Nimrod. But where you have, you know, like we were talking about the inheriting the mythos and stuff like that, it kind of muddies the water. Hmm. But what was interesting was uh, Gilgamesh's father is named as Lilu, and that he was part God, or two-thirds God, and which interestingly comes out to 66.6% divine. Hmm. So, but but his father, this Lilu, he was uh, known as a demon of the vampire kind. Hmm. So with the, when you look back now at that story in Jasher, when he cuts off the head of Nimrod, it, you know, I mean, when you read the mythologies, that, that's how you killed a vampire. You're saying Nimrod was, was a vampire? His father was uh, a vampire, is, is what the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the Sumerian uh, king's list says. What? Why do all Gilgamesh's these cultures father, have so many different, with Nimrod archetypes? and Gilgamesh, they're, they're all I over the I didn't know the there place. were vampires and giants and all kinds of wild giants shit like this. Giants, for sure. I never heard about that. I vampires. had no idea about any of the vampires in the Wait. Bible. Well, yeah, even the Bible, the, it says... The Sumerian that, uh, reliefs, they have Sorry. these giants with these little people sitting that on That might their be, laps. but that's vampires. We're talking vampires. Yeah, vampires. I'm just saying giants. Giants. We're giants. Yeah, You've I get seen, it. But yeah. Vampires. I did not know there were vampires back in biblical historical context. Like that. Yeah. Well, even some of the, the vampires are, excuse me, the, uh, the giants, when they come out of uh, Exodus and they went to scope the land, they come back. You remember what they said? They said uh, the... The Nephilim are here, and they devour the inhabitants of the land. They were eating the people and drinking the blood, and that, that's vampiristic. And that's why you get the commandments in the Bible in the Old Testament. It says, specifically, do not drink the blood. Why was he telling them, do not drink the blood? Because obviously there was people doing it. And, you know, there's power in the blood. It's the life right. force. Oh, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. I was like, well, maybe that's there's a co- correlation to why he chopped his head off because you know he his he's part you know vampire. He's the first vampire, Abraham Lincoln, the Dude, vampire cryptids. Slayer. 
Yes, Esau. and then it gets even more interesting. The first okay, Big Gilgamesh, foot, the first v- vampire. He makes a friend in this epic. Okay, now by a guy named Inky Do. Oh yeah, and it says that uh, uh, Gilgamesh was without equal, and so the gods to equal and uh, level out the playing field made him an equal. And when it describes the creation of Enkidu, it says that the gods pinched a piece of red clay. Mm-hmm. You know, Esau come out red, hairy all over, right? And it said that uh, the pinch of red clay was through into the wilderness, once again associated with Esau. And it says that he was a a, a mighty man of the, the wilderness and that he roamed with the beasts of the field. Okay. And it said that he was hairy yep. all over and, uh, and red. So it's like, you see, I see all these correlations with Esau, with this biblical or with this account in the Epic of Gilgamesh with Enkidu. That's weird. That's interesting. And so in long story short, these guys end up meeting and have an epic battle. They challenge each other to see who's the strongest. Oh, boy. And Enkidu, or Gilgamesh, basically cheats and stacks the deck. He ha- he sends out a harlot from the temple of Anana, which is the goddess of sex and war, All right. to, to sleep with Enkidu for six days and seven nights. They know how to have a good time. Death by snoo-snoo. <laughs> yeah. And it says that once she does this, that uh, it will basically weaken him and that uh, the beasts of the field will no longer accept him. Mm. And it says that when he goes back to the wilderness, uh, all the beasts of the field flee from him. And that when he tries to run and chase them down, uh, it says in quotations that it felt as though his body was tied down with a cord. Oh, he turned soft. Dude, is this the weak. first? Is this the first Epstein case? <laughs> Setting him up, you know, setting the honey, guy up. Honeypot. Yeah. Well, who, sounds like a yeah. honeypot to me. He got. Oh yeah. yeah. Epstein. Six days. Oh yeah. Six days. You're coming out of that. You're done. You're not thinking straight after the first six minutes. <laughs> yeah. So they end up fighting, but he ends up beating him. But but Inky dude gets him down to one knee. And everybody watching thinks that he's about to win. But then last like minute move, uh, Gilgamesh throws Enkidu on his shoulder and body slams him to the ground and wins the match. So it's been inverted. Instead of Esau winning the battle, now Gilgamesh slash Nimrod wins. And the two become best friends and they go on all these epic journeys together. But I thought that was just cool, all the different little correlations, how... You know, Nimrod, Gilgamesh, uh, Esau, and Enkidu, and and both of them, they're described the same exact way. They're yeah, uh, they both fight, and it's just crazy when you see just another example, like we've been talking about several times tonight. Just yeah, the same story, just told it's in different contexts. Right, right. And Adamu in Sumerian, don't know, is Adam. I mean, it tells well, the story okay. of genetic genetic manipulation. It's it sounds like cloning. Like technology, doesn't that what Adam and Eve sounds like? And, you made and, some out of a rib. I mean, you... yeah, and that's what uh, you know. Essentially, the uh, Zachariah Sitchin, Sitchin talks about is you know Adamu, 
and so close to the story of Adam and Eve. Sure. Which one do you think's older? Do you think the Sumerian text is older? Do you think they're the those stories were taken and and kind of by telephone turned into what the Old Testament became? Where do you, what do you think the origin of the Old Testament is? I've always wondered that. Which comes first? Well, I mean, if you go by scientific dating and stuff, the the Sumerian and, and stuff like that definitely uh, predates uh, the biblical account. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people will take that and say, well, here you go. That's proof. You know, this one was older, so they just copied it. Right. But the thing was, was the, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, they relied on oral tradition mm-hmm. forever. So, I mean, honestly, we, we don't know for a fact you know, which one come up with which one first. But my opinion is that, you know, and like I said, I have my preconceived notions. I'm, I'm a Christian man. I see things through a biblical worldview. But I'm not a coincidence theorist. If I see the same story, like the Great Flood and, and creation and all these things told out throughout all these different cultures, then it's it's the same account. It's just told, you know, from different lenses and different, mm-hmm. you know, polytheists versus monotheists. Mm-hmm. And even like with the corn kings, for for example, people want to throw up like atheists, they'll say, you know, well, Jesus is uh just another archetype. You know, if you look at Mithras, if you look yeah. at uh, uh Adonis, if you look at Osiris, all of them are dying and resurrecting sun gods and it's just the same story told over and over again it's it's archetype my point of view is that satan the the nahash and these fallen angels they were in heaven to start with they i think they knew the plans so they come down and present themselves as these gods and try to tell the story but in a perverted, distorted way. and But Scripture even says what the devil means for harm, God uses for good for those who love him. And I've even proposed that these corn kings and things like that and these different myth- mythos are preconditioning of uh, the coming of Christ. Because if you think about it this way, if... Uh, you believe in a dying and resurrecting God by whatever name, and you've been raised to believe that your whole life, and I show up, and I can do great signs and wonders, and I'm telling you about Jesus Christ, and I'm telling you the story, you're going to be like, man, that sounds a lot like this story that I know, and I believe that, and you'd be a lot more prone to accept that because it's a familiar story than if I just come to you and told you some off the wall story that you never heard of. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a, I view that as basically like a, a preconditioning of Christ. Cause I think it's just outlandish to believe that the creator of the universe didn't speak to his creation at all until the time of the, the Hebrews and Exodus and only yeah. chose this small group of people to reveal himself to. I think he gave hints in the very least of himself throughout the world to prepare the way. Yeah. Cause it is weird. Krishna is born of a virgin, um, has a miraculous birth. Mithra is a big one. And, you know, not to say, you know, with Jesus, it's like, well, no, it's not just cultures revisiting this. It's almost like this, 
being or energy if you want to get into you know some of the like ascended master kind of world and some of that kind of stuff it's a little bit new agey but you know what if there are these souls that just come back at from in times of need um and you know mithras and jesus and krishna and all these kind of beings are um somehow connected in some way they all seem to have a similar story it doesn't necessarily mean oh it's just made up story jesus never existed they're just taking all these old there's always a gray area for me it's it's somewhere in between it's um you know i don't discount any of those stories at all i think they're all super super important um and there are you know archetypes that do kind of repeat throughout history which is and, fascinating and, and that's a and those preconditions either is not uh out of the norm for the bible yeah like one thing people miss like uh are you familiar with the the story of jonah and the whale yep a little bit yeah yep Okay, yeah, God tells him to go to Nineveh, which is modern-day Iraq, you know what I mean? And they worshiped the God called Dagon. And Dagon was depicted as uh, half fish, half man, and even some depictions it's a full fish with its mouth open and his upper body hanging out of the of the mouth of the fish. I've seen that. So, he, you know, he despised Noah, or not Noah, Jonah. Jonah despised those people. So God was saying he was going to destroy him, but he wanted him to go witness to them. That way, maybe they would repent and turn and be saved. He didn't want them to be saved. So what does he do? He jumps on a boat and takes off in the opposite direction. Well, God brings a storm. He gets thrown off the boat, and the great fish swallows him. Well, this fish goes to the beach of Nineveh and vomits him out onto the beach. So you know all the people of Nineveh witnessed this man getting threw up onto the beach out of this great fish. <laughs> so then he starts telling me, hey, you know, Yahweh's going to destroy you guys. You need to turn from all your false idols and all this other kind of stuff. And he's probably doing it half-heartedly because he didn't even want him to be saved anyway. <laughs> and they do. They listen, they repent, and he is spared according to the story. So it's like I see that as a, a preconditioning. God took uh, a god they were worshiping, Dagon, and presented his messenger, his prophet, up as Dagon. Because think about it. If you're that ancient culture, you worship this half fish, half man. So you think it was a sleight of hand trick? It was basically God using and meeting those people where they were at to to save them. So interesting. Hmm. All I can, yeah, that's wild. <laughs> that's wild. I've that's interesting take on it. It's Good very stuff, interesting. <laughs> this is awesome. It makes me, yeah. You know, Leviathan. You know, then the uh, Mesopotamia. Right. You had the Chaos Dragon. Oh, Every, yeah. You know, all these different stories of these different gods uh, defeating this Chaos Dragon, and then out of chaos creating order. Hmm. Well, when you look at the biblical text. That's what that is. It, it's God taking the mythos of these other people and t- and retelling it to show that, you know, uh, basically like Baal. Baal had to fight this big uh, chaos serpent, but he had to get a magical club, get all these help from these other gods, and he struggled with it and finally overcame it. Well, when you get into the story of Genesis, um, 
where it says that God's spirit hovered over the, the waters. Well, the waters is Yom. Yom was the, uh, one of the names of these chaos dragons. So it's basically like a play on words and word association. So where their God struggled and barely defeated this chaos monster through the Genesis account, it's saying that basically uh, Yahweh hovered over the waters, which was Yom, hovered over Yom, and, and uh, his spirit just hovered over the waters and subdued chaos like a dog, you know, like down boy. <laughs> so it's like you see this all the time. Uh, they take the the stories, the mythos, and, and the gods, and and turn them uh, to to draw the people in and show that Yahweh was superior to their god. Dude, dirty tricks have been happening forever and ever. People are like, I can't believe they're censoring the internet, bro. There's been propaganda and sleight of hand tricks happening for the entire much existence forever. of yeah. humanity. Like, <laughs> Seems like. Oh man, Justin, this has been a rad conversation. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I love your take. I love getting. A lot of people, because everybody that's into this kind of stuff, like you said, you're coming from a Christian lens. I'm coming from kind of a historical, um, you know, research of, of conspiracies and ancient civilizations and the paranormal. And I kind of take things from everything and then form my own, you know, I guess you could call it stoner opinions. Um, but, you know, I have in my heart my beliefs about things, but there are so many unanswered questions with this stuff that I really do love getting a little piece like, you know, I'm sure when you talk to L.A. and, and Heather and you're putting all these pieces together for yourself as well. Yeah. And it's great. I mean, man, you're well-read, well-researched, and we appreciate the hell out of you for for doing this and hanging out with us tonight. Um, you know, I would love to give you an opportunity to kind of give us some final words and also let us know where we can find you. Um, if people want to connect, where can we listen to the podcast and see everything that you're doing? Floor is yours, brother. Uh, yeah, I just, once again, I, I appreciate you having me. I had a real good time just having the conversation, hanging out with you guys. I, I enjoy listening to your show. So to actually be a part of it, it it's really cool and I appreciate it. But, uh, but yeah, uh, I got two podcasts, uh, the Dig Bible podcast, and that's, uh, you know, diving into uh, biblical history and the word and these extra biblical books and, and things like that. And uh, the Prometheus Lens podcast, that's my solo project. I just recently started it, but that one is uh, not as biblically based as my other one. It's uh, basically just looking at history uh myths and, and legends and conspiracy theory and just just all just different uh, subjects that i that i find fascinating and uh that's not so much a, a ministry as the dig bible podcast is but that one you know i do tell you outright that i am a christian and just like tonight we we talked about you know, history and, and, and giants and architecture and just all these different things. And I do tie them in with, with biblical things and, and give you my, and I'll tell you my opinion, mm -hmm. <laughs> but that, that's all it is. But yeah, come check it out and hang out with us. And I think you'll enjoy it. I talk to people, uh, LA Marzulli, Gary Wayne, uh, Judd Burton. I've had Timothy Alberino on just a lot of, a lot of interesting guys and some good conversations. 
Man, that's great. I'm so happy for what you're doing, the path that you're on. It sounds like, I mean, you've got the passion for it. Um, you're connecting with tons of other like-minded people. And, you know, I wish you all the best with all your endeavors. And again, from all of us down here, we appreciate you. Thank you for doing this. And we will oh, come yeah. right back and we'll send you out with the proper goodbye. Uh, Bub and I will outro the show and we'll chat here in a second. But, dude, thank you so much. Appreciate you, man. Oh, no, I appreciate you guys. Like I said, this is, I live for this stuff. I love it. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Justin Brown, everybody. Keeping them coming. <laughs> Keeping them coming. Mikey oh, the Magician. shit. Magic Mike. Well, hey, bro, that wasn't me. This is... Rabbits uh, out of the hat. You know, Justin was 100% reached out to me, and it only took me a few minutes to chat with him a little bit and checking out his show. Yeah, you're the glue. You're the magnet. It just, uh, you you're know, the, you're the I, I see what he's doing. Center of the black hole, the bro zone here. And it's uh, it was an easy choice, you know. It was an easy choice to, to bring him in on this, so... You know, you know what it felt stuff. like? Felt like Dumb and Dumber when they're going along in the shagging wagon. They're like, hey, there's some hitchhikers. Like, pick them up. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Let's get the convo going. I love it. Yeah. And no matter what your background is, I mean, I will literally talk, bring in a Quran scholar. We will have a conversation with anybody because we want to hear bring me in every a, aspect a and angle. Scholar. Yeah. I learned so much there I had no idea about. Yeah. I'm like, man, if they would have brought some of those books in, maybe I would have went to church yeah. more as a kid or paid attention. Yeah. Joel Thomas. Probably not. My ADD was strong as a child. You know, another. Christian friend Joel Thomas, yeah, really into the book of Enoch. Sure, I, you know, those guys should definitely connect. We'll have to, it's interesting, we'll to send them uh, uh, Joel's way to a lot of overlap there. Oh, but, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, you guys are great, pollination. Everybody in here tonight, you rule. We could not be doing this without you guys, and we 100% really, really, really do appreciate you guys. And uh, if you want to support the show, all the links are in the description. All the links to find Justin and everything he's doing, Prometheus Lens and The Dig, is in the description. Check his stuff uh, out. Check his stuff out. Uh, share, like, subscribe, do the whole thing. Um, love, peace, and chicken grease. We're out. Oh, yeah. Thank you to Matt Disbro and Kyle Stoner and Master Control as well. Look at that. That's burning up in there. Oh, that's hot. Lit match. <laughs> all right, guys. The best. Peace, y'all.